Wasn't that beautiful? Amen. Good message too. If we had been living back then, would we have been so taken up with things of life to have missed the miracle? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Open your Bible, would you please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. And this is a familiar passage to every Christian. It, uh, it doesn't take you long after you're saved to have uh, come across Isaiah chapter 7 and this wonderful uh, promise of the miraculous virgin birth. For that's what we have here before us. And it's one of several promises that God gives in the Old Testament. It's a very interesting story here. And we're going to get a little of the background on it. I want you to sort of catch the, the orb here of what uh, uh, we have in Scripture. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, we bow and humble ourselves before your greatness and before your throne once again. And we freely, readily acknowledge how, <clears throat> how poor we are in, in wisdom and in spiritual growth. How often we get taken up with things of life and ordinary things and we miss the opportunity to walk with God during the day. And Father, we do ask your forgiveness. We love you so very much and we know that you love us dearly. Dear Heavenly Father, please open the Bible to us today. Have the Holy Spirit, that wonderful built-in Bible teacher that you gave us the moment that we received Jesus. Please have the Holy Spirit teach us your truth today and help us to grow in faith and in love for you and in desire for you and for the things of heaven. Wow, we're closer to heaven than ever before, ever. And it could be today that our Savior calls for us. Help us to be ready. Speak to our hearts today, Heavenly Father, and help us to be obedient to the Scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, how many here, how many here drive? Hey, you got your license, you drive a car. Raise your hand, big show of hands. How many drive? Okay. How many wish they had a license and they drove? Ah, a few hands, yes. Well, praise the Lord. You know, these are, um, these are great blessings to be able to drive. And uh, by the way, another great blessing is Jewel's home. Yeah, she slipped in and I didn't notice her then. But I see her there. And so we welcome her back home. We've been praying for you for a long time, Jewel. And uh, wow, it's going to be a good Christmas after all. Well, uh, being able to drive a, a motor vehicle safely, I think, is a, is a great blessing. How many have uh, been driving their car you're going someplace and you're looking for a sign and you're driving and you miss the sign. How many have had that happen to them? Raise your hand if you've... Oh, that's just about as many people as have raised their hand there a moment ago that, that drive a vehicle. Yeah. Has anyone actually missed a stop sign and gone through a stop sign? Look at the hands. How about a red light? If you just weren't paying attention and zoomed through? It happens, doesn't it? You're driving along and it's happened to me more times than I want to admit. And the thing is, sometimes I'm looking for the sign. And then I realize, I passed it. I must have passed it. And turn around, go back. That's happened to me. I've even missed it going back, looking for it. It's happened. Uh, but finally, 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 I, I found it and got to where I was going. Um, a professional driver truck driver over in Scotland had this happen. A professional driver. Now, I don't know all of the ins and outs of Scotland and the roads and so on, but I understand that the two towns, Inverness and Perth, there's a train that runs back and forth. And on part of the, part of the train tracks, it gets up to 80 miles an hour. That train really barrels through. And so as I understand, it goes around a bend, crosses a road. Well, not that long ago, a truck driver named Douglas Gow, G-O-W, he's a 49-year-old professional truck driver, knew what he was doing. He was making his first ever delivery to a home on this road 
that crossed the track. And so beside the, the tracks was a sign warning of oncoming trains. And so Douglas drove his truck right up onto the tracks and looked and saw the train coming at 80 miles an hour toward him. And he just got off the tracks just in time. There was no damage done. But they did hold an inquest. And they did look into this. They What happened? Here's a professional driver. And how, how could this happen? And they questioned him. And Douglas Gow, his answer was, I didn't see the sign. It happens to professionals, doesn't it? Where you just don't see the sign. It happened to the house of Israel. You have in front of you here an amazing sign, isn't it? Let's look at it again. In verse 14. Read it out loud together with me. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, here's the background. We're looking at a king by the name of Ahaz. And Ahaz uh, was the king of Judah, but he was a spiritual wreck. He knew about God, but I don't think he actually knew God. There's a lot of people like that. Now, Ahaz came from a, a reasonably good family line and heritage. His, his grandpa was uh, Uzziah, and Uzziah was a godly king. And Ahaz's father was Jotham, and Jotham was a, an amazing administrator, magnificent, and a good man. But now here's Ahaz, the grandson, and he was a wreck. He was just a wreck, is what he was. Um, would you keep your finger there, please, in Isaiah 7, or put a little notepad, turn back to the book of 2 Kings. I want you to see this for yourself. 2 Kings, now be watching for it or you'll miss it. We're, we're talking about signs here today. 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16. And we'll start in verse 1. And this was approximately 740 B.C., something like that. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. Imagine that. He was king at only 20 years of age. What could possibly go wrong? And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, now watch this, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Those were the bad guys. Yea, and made his son to pass through the fire. Do you understand what that means? Absolute paganism. They had some kind of big metal god called Moloch. And with outstretched arms, they built a fire in this thing and they would sacrifice children to this god in hopes to get uh, uh, the god's favor and get answers to their prayers to the god of Moloch. And they would place their babies in the hands, the burning hands and arms of Moloch and it would roll down into the open cavity, the stomach, that was a roaring fire. And this is absolutely unbelievable. It goes on to say, according to the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And look at verse 4. He sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This guy was a wreck. He was absolute wreck. Although he was the king of Judah, he was not living for God. And I don't think that he knew God as his savior. I think he was just a wreck. Keep your finger there, please. In 2 Kings, we'll be back to that in a minute. We go, we go back here to uh, uh, chapter 7 of Isaiah. And um, we find that uh, God was going to give something special to, I, to Ahaz in verse 10. 
the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. It can be anything you want, any kind of sign. Now I'd like to remind you that 1 Corinthians 1.22 says the Jews seek after a sign. Signs were divinely given miracles to encourage faith in God's word. That's what they were for. That's the idea of a sign. If you can imagine um, God's word and then a sign kind of pointing to it. And so here we have God's promise of deliverance and a sign. And Ahaz was being asked to give a sign. What kind of sign do you want God to give? It could be anything you want. You name it. If you had been King Ahaz, what would you have said? If God had come to you and said, Listen, I know what you're going through. And I know what you're scared about. I know what the future holds. And I hold the future, says God. And I am going to do you right. And to prove it, ask of me a sign, says God. It can be anything you want. What would you ask God for? That's the question posed to Ahaz. Here, you can ask a sign. What do you want? You know, God gave a lot of signs in the Old Testament. In Egypt, when Israel was in Egypt, you know those ten plagues? Those were signs as well. They were definitely signs that God was on the side of Israel and and opposing Pharaoh. They were signs. And even, in fact, the first couple of plagues, the Egyptian magicians came in and they duplicated it with their magic. I don't believe that they had uh, devilish powers, although that's possible. But I think that it was more of of the the typical kind of sorcerer and his... uh, sort of magic that he does. And you know, today there are magicians that would make you honestly think they could make an elephant disappear right in front of your very eyes. They make you think that they could could raise a person and levitate them. That they can do things with cards that are unheard of. But they're just tricks. That's all they are. They're just sleight of hand. Very good sleight of hand, but they're tricks. The magicians were called in by Pharaoh and they duplicated the, uh, the miracles that God did through Moses. The magicians found a way to duplicate it. And then finally, when they get to the third or fourth miracle, the magicians, they realize they can't duplicate this and they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Watch out. Watch out. These, these plagues... These, uh, these things, these ten plagues were, were like signs as well. And God often sent a sign to accompany his word. But Ahaz was not interested in a sign. You say, why wasn't Ahaz interested? Turn back to 2 Kings chapter 16. I'd like you to see this. Um, we pick up here in verse 5. Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Now these guys should never have been friends to begin with. Israel was supposed to have been, that's the ten northern tribes. They were supposed to have been on God's side. But they never did have a godly king, never. Judah, down in the south, they had many godly kings, but they flip-flopped back and forth between good kings and bad kings. But the ten northern tribes never had a godly king, ever. And they would constantly align themselves with wicked Heathen kings. And that here is what Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel did. He went into cahoots with a real baddie. And his name was Reason, the king of Syria. And the two of them here came up to Jerusalem to war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Reason, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews from Elath and the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz, instead of trusting God, instead of looking to God, Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. So he goes to a wicked heathen king himself. Thinking, well, you know, if my brothers up north could do it, I could do it. Hey, just because someone else is doing it and maybe getting away with it is no reason for us to do it. The world does all kinds of creepy things. 
And often they get away with it, so it seems. And that's no reason for us to do it. They lie is no reason, no excuse, no open door for us to lie. Let's make sure about that. If someone hits you and you hit them back, well, now there's two faults. You give it over to God. The Bible says clearly, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But Ahaz wasn't that type. He wasn't interested in God. He sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. No, he wasn't. But he made himself to be. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. That's what Ahaz did. And so when we go back to Isaiah, and Isaiah was sent of God on a special mission to speak to Ahaz, And to tell him not to worry about these two crazies. I'll take care of them. And to prove it, ask of me a sign. And that is the background on this. And so Ahaz was not interested in a sign from God. And he made up an excuse. And you can see it here in verse 12. Isaiah 7 verse 12. Ahaz said, I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Sounds very high and spiritual. But he wasn't at all. He was just a liar. That's all he was. A liar. There's so many liars all over the world. And he was a big fat one. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And so he said to, uh, to Isaiah, he said, I will not ask a sign because this would be tempting the Lord my God. I will not do such a thing. And he was just a a bold-faced liar, is all he was. And so God gave him a sign. That's why we have um, verse 14. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God literally with us. That's the idea of it. Some people write books and they say that the virgin here was a reference to Isaiah's wife. They say that this woman that Isaiah spoke of was actually Isaiah's own wife and she would later give birth to a son. And that's how they say, they they try to explain it away. They take away the miracle part of it. But I'll have you know it was not Isaiah's wife. You say, Pastor, how can you know? How can you be so sure that this woman here was not Isaiah's wife? Well, the Hebrew word for virgin is Alma here. And Alma speaks of a mature and ready for marriage young lady. It could not have been the prophet's wife because she was already married. Number one. But number two, if you go back to verse three, you'll learn something about Isaiah's wife. The Lord said unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and, oh, who's this person? She are Jashub. What are the next two words? Say them out loud. Thy son. Isaiah's wife wasn't a virgin. She already had given birth to a son. This is absolutely not talking about Isaiah or his wife or anything like that. This is a miracle that God spoke of. An absolute miracle, a biological impossibility and an absolute miracle. And it was a sign. It was an incredible sign that God was going to give. You say, well, a sign to who? Who was it a sign to? Who was going to see this sign? Because we know And we're going to get there. We're going to go over to uh, Matthew and Luke in just a minute. And we know that this verse is quoted in the Gospels. And that Christ's birth is the fulfillment of this promise here. We know that. We know that. But who is it assigned to? Verse 13 tells us. And he said, and he being Isaiah, Hear ye now, O house of David. Now we're into the plural. Ye is a plural pronoun. 
Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you, plural pronoun, to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Notice, house of David. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you, plural pronoun. It's not just to Ahaz, it's to all the house of David. You see that? That's who the sign was given to, the house of David. Now the thing is, I mean, that's an amazing sign, a virgin birth. You'd have to agree, wouldn't you? That the virgin birth, how many of those have ever happened in earth's history? You think of the ways in which men and women come into the world. And we'll just use man in the generic sense. How does man get into the world? How many ways can you think of? Well, one way is he requires a a mother and a father. Right? Isn't that one way? How did you get into the world? Did you not have a mother and father in there somewhere? Was there not at one point a mommy and a daddy that helped bring you into existence? Boy, a quiet room here today. Well, I'll tell you another way. And that's someone who came into the world without a father or a mother. Without a father or a mother. Someone came into the world. Who was that? Adam. Adam didn't have a father. He didn't have a mother. And yet there he was. A direct creation of God. Out of the dirt, mind you. But a direct creation of God. So now we have two ways that people have come into the world. But there's a third way. Someone came into the world, had a father, so to speak, but no mother. No mother. Who would that have been? A father, but no mother. Who came into the world that way? Eve. Eve. If you want to refer to Adam as a father, God took a rib By the way, I read recently where the human ribs, now you medical people can correct me, but the human rib, if if one is lost, it'll grow back. I've, I've read that recently. I thought, huh, that's interesting. Don't get any ideas, but that's, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? God took a rib. I just thought that was interesting. But there we go. Now we have three ways, don't we? Count them. One, two, three ways in which a person can come into the world. But I suggest to you there's a fourth way. There is a fourth way in which someone can come into the world with no father, but with a mother. And who was that? A little louder. Jesus. Jesus. No human father, but a human mother. How about that? Four ways. Now, which way did you come? Obviously, you had a mama and a papa. Me too. That's the normal way. There's only ever been three people in all of earth's history that have come in any other way. But we have moms and dads. That's how we get here. This is a miracle. This is a biological miracle. And it was a sign given to the house of Israel. So the house of Israel or representatives of the house of Israel were supposed to have seen this sign. Are you with me so far? You put up a sign. It's for people to read. Go this way. Go that way. Take your shoes off. You know, put your, leave your coat here, whatever. A sign. It's for people to read. This was a sign. For who? For the house of Israel. Can you think of a time when the house of Israel ever saw that sign? Now, while you're thinking about it, let's go over to the New Testament, to the Christmas story. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Well, actually, let's start with Matthew. Let's start there. Matthew. And we'll go to chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We will not read through all of the wonderful verses here in chapter 1. 
But I think you're familiar enough with the story, starting in verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph. The word espouse means that they were not fully yet come together in marriage. It means toward being a spouse. A spouse. You see, if you take off the E, you see what you got here? Take the E off the front and the D off the end. What have you got? Spouse. Right. And espoused means that he, she was committed to him. It's today what we would call an engagement, but it was more binding than that. And it, was, um, it had other significance as well. And so she was found to be with child. You get into verse 20, Joseph being a just man here and not sure what here to do. And so um, he's, re- he's told him in a dream She shall bring forth a son, verse 21, call his name Jesus. Verse 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, that's Isaiah, saying, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So there's prophecy fulfilled. And by the way, the very first prophecy fulfilled in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to have a good study on your own of the Gospel of Matthew, go through the Gospel of Matthew and start writing out every time you see the words about this was fulfilled or this, it was, it was done to fulfill or to, in other words, there's prophecies in the book of Matthew. I won't tell you how many, I'll let you go through and count them. But I've gone through and I've counted them and I've got them marked in my Bible. And this is the very first one that Matthew mentions. It's the virgin birth. So my question is, who saw this sign? If this was a sign, who saw it? It, We know who it was meant for, but where in in the Christmas story did someone actually see the sign? It's mentioned. Here's the sign. But when was it ever seen? Is this just one of those, take my word for it? We'll find that in the Bible, God would, would say that uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. There had to be witnesses. Someone had to see that sign. Who saw the sign? Now with that in mind, let's go over to Luke. We'll go to Luke and uh, take a, a look here at the uh, chapter 2, at the Christmas story. From Luke's perspective. So in Luke chapter 2. We have the decree that. You know all should be taxed. And Mary. uh, Espoused still to to Joseph. Being great with child in verse 5. And they go to Bethlehem. The time comes she should be delivered. And verse 8. There were the shepherds abiding in the field. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord comes and tells them. Don't be afraid. I bring you. Uh, great good tidings of great joy. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Wait a minute. This is not the same sign. This is a different sign. He shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. <clears throat> what happened to the virgin birth? There's no mention here. We're given a totally new sign. This is not the sign that Isaiah said. This is a different sign here. What's going on? What did we miss? Did we miss the sign already? We were looking for it. How could we miss it? Well, we have the sign here of the swaddling clothes and the manger. But this other sign of a virgin birth seems to be missing in the Christmas story. It seems to be like not there. How did we miss it? How did the house of Israel What good was the sign if only Mary and Joseph knew about it? What good is a sign like that? How can it be a sign to the whole house of Israel if only Mary and Joseph knew about it? And so people ask them afterwards and say, oh, we'll take our word for it. It was a virgin birth. Right, they say. Oh yeah, like we believe that. Remember, up to this point, there had only been three ways for people to come into the world, not a fourth way. Remember? This virgin birth hadn't happened prior to this. 
And so obviously the house of David had to know about this sign or it was no good. Are you following my point here? Can you follow what I'm saying? God put up a sign to the house of Israel. 700 BC. A sign to the house of Israel. Good. Where is it? Where is it? We're looking. Can't see it. Where is it? Is it here? Is it there? Where's this sign of the virgin birth? And you get to the Christmas story. And the sign given to us right up front is the swaddling clothes in the manger. There's no virgin birth here. There's no mention of it being a sign. So where is it? Is it gone? Does it not exist? Did God change his mind? No. No, I'm going to make a suggestion to you today. And you can take it or leave it. It's up to you. But I do believe that this was a very important sign. But how could they prove that this young girl or any young girl was still a virgin? Well, we're not going to get into it all. But in Deuteronomy 22, it talks about tokens of virginity. And that had to do with when a man married a young gal and then he comes back and says that she wasn't a virgin when I married her. So there was that. And we're not going to get into that. It doesn't really apply here. But that was one way in Deuteronomy 22. But there was a second way and a very obvious way really in which to ensure that the young girl was a virgin and that was a physical check by godly women. A physical check by godly women. Now, you're in Luke chapter Two, let's go back to chapter 1 and we'll look at verse 36. And here we have Mary and she's been visited here by the angel. And in verse 36, the angel says, Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And that was a miracle because she was way past the ability, the age of ability to be able to give birth. Uh, same with Abraham and Sarah, you remember? Now the same thing here with Elizabeth, who uh, Mary was the cousin. They were both cousins. So she's conceived a son in her old age. And watch these next words. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So she was six months pregnant. So far so good? Okay, uh, all you mommies. Do you remember what it was like at the six month point? Don't want to remember? Who cares? Well, at the time you did, at the time you did, you know, as you started waddling, and here's Elizabeth with a cane or a walker waddling. She's old and she's pregnant six months. And so, verse 39, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. She went to visit her cousin. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here. <laughs> that, was, that was no quick jump on the bus and go visit your cousin. This was a two-day trip for Mary. A two-day trip to get down to see her cousin Elizabeth. That was a big thing back then. Costly, and also you've got to be careful about uh, robbers and thieves along the way. Remember the uh, uh, the road to Jericho and the, the guy that came down and got beaten and stripped and so on. There were highwaymen along the, the roads. And so Mary is making a two-day dangerous trip to see her cousin. Why in the world did she do that? Why would she have to? Why would she want to? I suggest to you there was a very important reason why Mary went to see her sister, her cousin Elizabeth. A very important reason. Now, in chapter 1, if you look at verse 5, you realize that Elizabeth's husband is Zacharias. You see, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. And Zacharias was an old godly man. I, how old, I don't know, but I, I know he was, whew, he was up there. And uh, his wife was Elizabeth. They both had no children all these years. They weren't able to have children. And that was considered a black mark on them back then. That was the culture, the custom. Oh, there's something wrong with you if you can't have children. And I'm sure they prayed many times 
and never saw the answer to their prayer. Finally, they just had to give it into God's hands. But God wasn't done yet, and God still answers prayer. That's good to know. And God's timing is sometimes different from our timing. Isn't that right? Yes. We think we found that to be true. And so Elizabeth's husband was a priest. He was an honored man. He was a respected man amongst the members of the Jewish society. I don't know if you can see where this is going yet. But if you can't, hang on, we'll get there. Now, in chapter 1, verse 56, we find that Mary got in there to see her cousin Elizabeth. And Mary abode with her about three months. You see that? So you take the first six months and you add three more months to it. How many months you got? Nine months. What happens after nine months? Birthday. Birthday. And so uh, no doubt Mary knew how godly her cousin Elizabeth was. Wanted to be there so that she could maybe help with the baby. You know, do whatever. To be comforted and to comfort. But I want to suggest to you that there was even a more important reason than that. Now, um, Mary, by the time Elizabeth had her baby, Mary is now how many months pregnant? Three months. Simple mathematics. So she has uh, finished up her first trimester. Nausea. Vomiting. Leg cramps. I know all about it, folks. I've been through it three times. Well, I've been close enough to someone who has been through it three times. All right, let's put it that way. And I remember the middle of the night and working out leg cramps. I remember those days. Yes. And so here's uh, Mary here uh, with her first trimester. And it makes absolute sense that the two godly women would have exchanged their hearts and thoughts. And Mary would have shared with Elizabeth everything the angel told her. And Mary would have told Elizabeth all about this amazing miracle. And because she was the wife of an honored priest, it would have been one of her jobs to do a godly check. And there's someone right there who more than likely made sure that Mary was still a virgin. The townspeople, back when Mary got back home, she's just starting to show now, isn't she? After her third month. And she comes back, you know, can you see her getting off the bus? And the townsfolk, oh, Mary! Oh, Mary! To them, she went away a virgin and came back pregnant. That's all they could think. That would be the human, normal, natural thing for them to think. And as she really started to show, boy, the rumors spread. Huh? I mean, you know what people are like. And so I want to suggest to you that this sign here, if you will, was seen. It was seen by a godly woman, the wife of a godly man, a priest in Israel. He was still a priest. He still, <coughs> even though he should have retired years ago, he was still doing the job. And his wife was right there by his side. And she was now pregnant and just giving birth there almost herself. But I want to suggest to you that this is where that prophecy would really have made sense. Isaiah chapter 7 is right here. And that's the main reason, I think, that Mary went to visit with Elizabeth. Otherwise, hey, people have babies all the time. Even older women have babies. And I mean, hey, it's a miracle, but why take a two-day trip down there? Why was Mary the only one to go? I think that everyone else thought it was good enough, but Mary had another reason, another purpose that drove her. And I'm just suggesting to you, my thought only, that this was where she got the physical check that guaranteed that she was a virgin. 
Otherwise, it's only her word and Joseph's word. (laughs) Take our word for it. That's not good enough. Where's the witness? You know, the mouth of two or three witnesses. Where is it? Well, she returns to Nazareth. Nazareth. She's in her second trimester. She probably would have told Joseph about it. I don't see why she wouldn't. She would have told him what the angel would have had to say. She probably would have told him about Elizabeth's guarantee. But still, Joseph was not sure. And this here is where Matthew 1, 18-24 fits in. Where God spoke to him in a dream. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. And so Joseph married Mary. Town people would always question her pregnancy. People today even question it. And they say, oh, Jesus was the son of Mary and a Roman centurion. Yeah. We know all about that, they say. Boy, are they wrong. To the townspeople, Mary went away, a virgin, and came home pregnant. But in Luke chapter 2 and verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. And so after six months, Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem. It's the end of her third trimester. We won't read the verses 16 to 18, but the shepherds, hallelujah for the shepherds. And they... uh, They believe the word told them by the angels and they go in there and they knew it was the Messiah. They knew it was. It wasn't just a baby being born. It was the baby of babies. It was the Messiah. And they knew that. And to them, he couldn't have a human father. And so it stands to reason that Mary and Joseph may have told them it's a virgin birth. The priest, Zacharias, and his wife, Elizabeth, can substantiate that. And all this happened in Bethlehem, the house of David. You see the sign, how it fits? It was given 700 BC. Where's the sign? Where's the sign? There it is. Just do a little digging and you'll find it. Some humble people saw it. This was the sign given by God through Isaiah. Now, again, my opinion only, but over in Jerusalem at this time, there were all of the chief priests and the leaders. They never got the sign. They never did. But yet it was substantiated. Why didn't the Jews believe, by the way? I'm afraid they had no faith at that time. Isaiah said in chapter 1 verse 3, well actually God said through Isaiah, chapter 1 verse 3, about the ox knows his master and the ass knows his master, but my people, they don't seem to know. And sadly, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. The sign of the virgin birth was given to the house of Israel, and the house of Israel missed it. Too bad. So again, have you ever missed a sign? Have you ever been in a difficult situation and wondered what you were going to do? Have you ever prayed to God and said, God, help me. God, I need some help. Have you ever even asked God for a sign? And the question is, have you been looking for it? Have you been looking for it? Because, you know, people miss signs all the time, don't they? And God could have given you your answer and you could have missed it. Have you ever cried out for God for help? God not only can help, but I got good news for you, my friend. God wants to help. He does. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And the devil tempts us to stop trusting in God and go find Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, and make a deal with him and sell your soul to him. What a mistake when God has all of the power you need. I believe it. Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord, and waiting is the hard part, folks. 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But it goes back to waiting on the Lord. And that's not easy sometimes. We're tempted to run to Tiglath-Pileser. That idiot. King Ahaz found himself in trouble, but instead of trusting in the Lord, he went to this crazy king of Assyria and he made a deal with him and became his servant. It's like you or I having trouble with our finances and we're in debt. And so instead of getting on our knees and pleading with God for help, we run and go see the local loan shark. You know what the loan shark is, right? He's the guy that'll loan you the money, but he's a shark. Loan sharking is a term and it's illegal in Canada. I was surprised to find this out, but I wondered and I had to look it up. What is the legal limit? How much can someone legally charge in interest? On your credit card, what do you pay? 18, 19, 20, 21%? The, the boy, you say that's loan sharking. That's not loan sharking, but that's high percentage. And, and you'd be foolish to live on your life on credit cards. But it's worse than that. It's almost three times worse than that. The government set the limit at 60% interest. Isn't that insane? Loan sharks will go above that. And they'll give you the money, but boy, do they, do they charge you the interest. And also, if you don't pay or don't pay on time, they use force, physical force, baseball bats, knives, brass knuckles. They'll use that kind of tactic. These are loan sharks. Why have anything to do with them? Ooh, instead, let's go to our Heavenly Father. Do you have debts that you want to get rid of? Probably. Most Canadians are shackled somehow with debts. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you someone who can help you. If you'll have patience and faith in Him. And that's your Heavenly Father. And He can get you out of debt. It's not going to happen at the push of a button. He's not going to lead you into the casino to win it big. That's not how it's going to happen. He's not going to work through that lotto ticket you bought and said, Oh God, if you help me to win, I'll give some to you, God. That ain't going to work. That ship sunk. That's not going to work. Don't trust in, in Tiglath-Pileser. You need to trust in the Lord and the Lord will bring you out. It'll take time, but He'll bring you out and you'll be strong so that you won't make that same mistake and go into debt again. Listen, weary one, the Lord has all of the power, all of the resources necessary to meet your every need, regardless of what your need is. He carried Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. He can carry you through any difficulty. The key is to trust Him and not make deals with the Assyrians, regardless of how good the deal may look. As God gave the house of David a sign, God may offer you a sign. He is the one who gave you life, my friend. He is the one who has kept you alive all these years. He is the one who has healed your body countless times. He is the one who gave you the Bible as an instruction book. Gave himself to you on the cross. Proving that he loves you. He will give you a sign. But you've got to be looking for it. Otherwise, you might miss it. A story about a Christian young man who was driving in downtown Vancouver trying to find a parking spot. Have you ever tried that? It sure helps prayer, doesn't it? You know, you, you pray, you know, you're driving around and yet the time and you're driving around and this Christian young man found himself praying, Oh Lord, he said, please, I'm going to be so late. Please help me. Help me to find a parking spot. And I promise you, if you help me to find a parking spot, I'll be in church this Sunday morning. I'll be in church this Sunday evening. I'll be in church this Wednesday for, for the Bible study prayer. And I'll read my Bible every day of the week. Look, a parking spot. Never mind God, it's okay. I think I found one. Why is it that some days we can be so dumb? And we miss the sign. Well, the sign of the virgin birth 
was a real honest-to-goodness sign that God gave. And it seems that only a few people saw it. I wonder if God has been trying to work in your life. Maybe you've been trying to do something. God has been maybe trying to direct you elsewhere. A number of years ago, my wife and I got it into our heads that we needed to sell our house. And so we contracted with a, what we thought was a good real estate man. And he gave us some counsel and we fixed the house up. And we put it on the market. And a sign went out on our front lawn for sale. Well, we just sat back and waited for the phone ring. And sure enough, it rang. That very night, we had a showing. Oh boy, we vacuumed and we cleaned and we were out of there. We put on the bread maker. That's what you do, don't you, when you sell your house? You put on the bread maker, get the smell of bread going. We got out of there. We went someplace, had a coffee. Oh boy, you know, they're probably signing the deal now. And we got back and uh, uh, they weren't interested. Oh, too bad. Well, it's okay, it's okay, be more. Sure enough, next day, another one. We cleaned the house and out we went. Listen to this. Over a period of six months, we had 46 separate house showings. 46 times we had to clean, spick and span that house. 46 times we had to put the bread maker on. 46 times I had to take my wife for coffee. Not one bite. And finally, it dawned on us. This was a sign from God. Don't do it. And so we thought, you're right, God. You know, we see it now. I went out and yanked the sign off the front lawn. I informed the the real estate guy, you know, the the jig's up. We're not going to renew. Oh, no, he said. Oh, yes, I said. And I'm so glad. Because um, we love the neighborhood. We love the house. I hate moving with a passion. I'd rather die. Hate moving. Terrible experience. (laughs) But also, the market went up. And there's more equity in the house. That wouldn't have happened, you know, had we sold it. The Lord makes no mistakes. And I'm asking you, could it be that God has put a sign out and you just haven't seen it? You went right by it. Can I invite you to the altar today and ask God to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what it is He wants you to do. Let's stand to our feet, shall we?